book of 2 Timothy. We're going to read two verses out of that this morning. So if you'll stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word, and we will read um, 2 Timothy um, verses 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Tony, if you'll come, and I will pray with you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, be with uh, your servant, Tony, today. Um, our pastor, Tony, today, as he um, boldly proclaims that Christ is risen from the dead. Um, Lord, let that joy um, that comes from that good news be uh, in our hearts. Um, focus us on what he said and, and let you um, and the praise of you fill us today. We love you and we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Rich. Um, I guess maybe one, one more attachment announcement to the, to the barbecue thing that Rich didn't know about. This is something I've been secretly planning. Now it's, now it's no longer a secret. There may or may not be a giant Nerf war for the kids and the kids at heart at the barbecue. So if you have an arsenal and would like to bring it, um, we're going to have lots of fun. Um, there will be extras, I promise. I've been hitting up Goodwill for quite a while preparing for something like this. So it's going to be great. Um, so what is, so quick question. Feel free to shout out back to me in answer to this. Um, what is your favorite day in April? So this is, it's this month. This is April. We got April 2nd. Is that a birthday or a, oh, it's her birthday. That's cake and presents day. I can understand why that'd be good. Easter, like, how could we miss today? Jesus, Jesus is alive. Like, that's whenever we celebrate it, um, on the months whenever it is in April. Who else? What's your favorite day in April? Yeah, April 1st, April Fool's Day. Is anybody do a prank? Any good pranks this year? Tell me, if you did a good prank this year, tell me afterwards so I can prepare for next year. Um, no one's mentioning the 15th. N no one here loves tax day? We have any accountants? So it's April 16th, right? It's the, the day after. Yeah, so I decided this year that I was going to do my taxes as early as possible. So January 31st, like that legal deadline where people have to get you all the documents and stuff. I'm just waiting for that day to come so I can go ahead and get my taxes filed. And I, I file my own taxes online. I use like those online services where you go through and click and give them all your information and hope you're not breaking the law somehow by faith. Um, and so it, it was about February 3rd or so, I got online to start entering in my taxes. And when I did, um, I have this little Facebook plugin that popped up as soon as, you know, I'm typing in my info into H&R Block. And it says, you know, Rich Starnes has posted in the Baptist Review, which is this, uh, this Facebook group we, we belong to and kind of discuss silly things and important things. But I, I thought to myself, I wonder what wisdom Rich has dropped, you know, amongst this crowd of, of young whippersnappers who like to talk theology. And so in, I, I quickly navigate in a new tab away from H&R Block over to the Baptist Review, and I read Rich's brilliance, which I assure you is brilliant. Um, but then I had to read the article that Rich was responding to. And so I click over on that article and I start reading. 
And after I get about halfway down through the article, I notice in the sidebar, there's a link to something else that looked neat. And so I clicked on that. Somehow I ended up watching movie trailers on YouTube for about 45 minutes. Um, and I was going to do my taxes early, but I got distracted. Anybody ever been there, fall down the YouTube rabbit hole, come up for breath, you know, at 3 a.m. and go, what did I do? Um, I had good intentions, but I got distracted. Um, for me, focus can be very, very difficult, um, which is no fun when you're prepping a sermon um, or doing homework or working in general. Focus is difficult. Anybody else with me on that? Um, but let's, let's write that large across the li- a life. Let's talk about distraction and lack of focus, not just in the now, not just whenever we need to do our taxes, but across a whole life. How many in here over the age of 30? My wife hasn't raised her hands yet. That's good. She's, she's getting there. Um, whenever I hit 30... I say that because we're prepping, like we're, gonna, we're both going to be over 30 in my household here pretty soon. And as I approached 30, I started thinking, where did my 20s go? Like, what happened to them? Any of you guys uh, over 40 look back and say, where did my 30s go? Have any of us hit 50 yet? Some of us are getting there. Look back and say, where did my 40s go? Um, I have had more than one conversation with someone who is on the latter side of their life and they look back and say, I don't know where the time went and all of these goals that I had in my life have slipped through my fingers. Any of you have those conversations? Are any of anybody afraid that's going to be you? Look back and say, all these things I wanted to do have passed me by. Someday we're out of time. And we're all going to be forced to look back over our life and say, did I waste it? What did I do with it? What was my purpose? Did I get distracted for decades at a time? And so today we're going to think about the biggest questions in life that we ask as humans. Questions of purpose. Questions of life. Questions of death. What do we do with these big things, these big questions that none of us get to avoid. Um, And specifically, we're going to do this kind of looking through the lens of the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy in this personal letter. And so just to give a little bit of context on the scriptures, we're going to see it today. Um, these, These words are written by Paul, who is an apostle. That means he's a missionary, he's a preacher, he's a church planter. He's, he's a man who was commissioned by Jesus himself to travel around the kind of the Mediterranean world, preaching the gospel to people who know nothing about God. And he's writing a letter to Timothy, who's his assistant. Now, Timothy was a young man that as Paul was traveling, he met and thought, this is a young man who has lots of potential. This is a man who's godly. And so he brings Timothy along. And uh, Timothy travels with him, learns from him, um, teaches alongside him. And so this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his assistant. And at this time in Paul's life, um, he's in prison. He's traveled, 
He's made the wrong people angry, and he's wound up in jail. And um, the truth is, is that the book of 2 Timothy is likely the last book um, written by the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures. Um, For those of you who don't know, he eventually is martyred. He's beheaded by the Romans um, for treason because he lifts Christ above the Caesar. And so Paul is in prison. At this point, he doesn't know his future, but he has some inkling that his days are coming to an end, and he writes a letter to Timothy. It's his last gasp of important instruction to this man that he expects will carry on his legacy. Um, so pretty, it's a pretty big deal as a letter. Timothy, at the time, is on his own mission. He's in the city of Ephesus as a, as a leader in the church there, and his goal is to raise up people in that church to be able to preach and tell others. Um, so he's building up that local church. And Paul knows, he knows, most likely from experience as he's traveled around, that while Timothy is on the ground in this place seeking to do his job as a leader in that church, that there are going to be all kinds of distractions that come along. Things that pop up, issues that creep in, that will threaten to derail him from what's important, from the reason he's there in the first place. And so in the text immediately preceding the ones we're looking at today, Paul reminds Timothy, act like a soldier. Don't get involved in civilian affairs. Like, focus on things that you know you have to do. He says, act like an athlete who only wins if he competes according to the rules. You know the rules you're supposed to abide by, the type of life you're supposed to live. Act like a good athlete. And then he says, act like a farmer, a good farmer, a hard-working farmer, who if he expects to receive from the first fruits of the crops, works hard whenever he needs to. And so he gives those reminders, and then we come to verse 8, where he kind of gets right down to the foundation of what he wants Timothy to know. So verse 8 should come up on the board. Again, this is out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And he says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And so after reminding Timothy to act like a soldier and an athlete and a farmer in these different ways, he gets down to the foundation of what he's telling him to do, and he says, remember Jesus Christ. In a sense, if you do nothing else, remember Jesus Christ. He's calling Timothy to stop, to take the time, and to think about Jesus. So in the midst of counseling and in the midst of teaching um, the practical things of life, figuring out where he's going to live, figuring out how he's going to eat, remember Jesus Christ. Remember this real person in history. Um, 
Notice that Paul, as a religious teacher, doesn't look at Timothy, his, his mentee, and say, remember all these principles, right? All these religious principles that are the foundation of what you believe. No, he doesn't say any of that. He gives good principles to Timothy, but at the foundation he says, remember this person. Not a mantra, not a, ten, not a teaching, remember Jesus. And then he says, remember Jesus specifically risen from the dead. So, <laughs> happy, happy resurrection day, as, as the good Christians say, right? Um, he's risen from the dead. Timothy isn't just remembering a man who was a good example. He's not just remembering a man who was a founder of a religion who's worthy of being seen. No, this man, Jesus Christ, is unlike any other man who's ever lived because he was risen from the dead. And there was no spiritual guru who did the miracle. Like It, it wasn't like there was a doctor who worked really hard and got him all patched up and he saves him, right? No, Jesus was nailed to a cross, exposed, suffocated to death, which is what happens when you're, when you're on a cross. A Roman pierced his side right up into his lungs with a spear, and his fluids just came. Jesus was dead, and he was taken by disciples, wrapped in, in, in the clothes of a dead man, in linens, and was laid in a tomb. People knew what dead was. He was, he was cold, no heartbeat, no breath. He was gone. And there was no doctor, there was no miracle worker that came along and said, I can fix this. They put him in a tomb, and they covered it with a stone, and they went back to their homes thinking, what are we going to do? But after a couple of days had passed, the Bible says on the third day, Jesus got up. He was risen from the dead by God himself. The maker of all life was risen back to life. And it's this truly remarkable miracle that gives us all hope. It's the reason we gather. Um, a few weeks ago, I had this heartbreaking conversation with my daughter. Um, these always happen right at bedtime because I think I've heard other people say children become philosophy, like thirsty philosophers at bedtime, something along those lines. Um, and my daughter started asking me questions about, you know, all the things in life that she was going to do. And, um, and somehow the, the question came up, you know, like, are you going to be there for everything? Um, now, she knows that I just lost my dad not too long ago. Um, and she knows that, like, my dad will never see her kids or her brother's kids. And um, 
And so the thought of, you know, will I see Chloe's children? Will I see her grandchildren? Like, she was thinking about these sort of things. And, um, and she wanted me to, like, promise her that I was going to be there. And a big part of me wanted to look at her and say, of course, I'm going to be there. Don't worry about it. I'm never going to leave you. Right? Who as a parent doesn't want to say that? But the truth is, like, I don't, I don't get to make that promise. It's completely outside of my power to look my daughter in the eyes and say, I'm going to be there whenever you have kids. Even if I'm the healthiest man in the world, and y'all know I'm not, because, you know, you, can, you have eyes. Even if I was the healthiest person in the world, like, I, drunk drivers are a thing. Accidents are a thing. It's often used as a way to scare people in church. You could leave here today and get hit by a truck, right? And, it's, and I'm not trying to say, like, be, like, obnoxious with it, but it's true, I mean, are, is there anybody in this room who hasn't known someone or known of someone who's died suddenly, tragically, at far too young an age? And so I, I sat there in her bed, holding her hand as she cried, not being able to give her the promise that I wish I could give her. She was learning about death, that it's coming for me, that one day it's going to come for her. Death is inescapable. It's undefeatable. It is the one constant in human existence, right? Death. We can't count on just about anything else, but we can count on death. And what we see in Christ, risen from the dead, is that that one thing that we can all count on is reversed. No longer is the one thing that we can count on that, that will die, but the one thing that we can count on that's powerful over death, that defeats death, is the power of God in Christ. And so when Paul writes to Timothy saying, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, what he's saying is, is that remember this man who represents all our hope. He defeats the undefeatable enemy. Remember him. And then he goes on to say, if you want to go ahead and put eight back up there. He goes on to say that he's the offspring of David. Now to, to, um, to Timothy, who would have been raised... Uh, with his mother being a Jew, teaching him about the faith, there would have been the understanding that, that King David from his history, that there was a promise made to him, that there would be a, a king who sat on a throne eternally, who, who reigned over a kingdom without end. And so he says, this Jesus, risen from the dead, is this offspring of David the one that we've been waiting for? And then he says this, as preached in my gospel. Do you all think, uh, like, Timothy knew the gospel? 
He'd traveled with Paul for years. He'd been a church leader on his own. He knew the gospel. And yet here's Paul doing what? Remember Jesus. Remember the one that I preach about in the gospel all the time. Timothy, who should have known the gospel intimately, is being reminded by Paul to cling to it. Again, it's foundational to Timothy's purpose. When we talk about the gospel, we often talk about it in two ways. We talk about it in the cosmic sense and in the personal sense. What I mean by this is, this is the basic truth of the Bible in a big picture sort of way. Some of you who did membership class, well, this will be familiar because we just talked about it. We talk about it in the sense of creation, that God made the world, that he made it good, that it was perfect and lovely, but sin entered in through people um, so that the world became fallen, subject to, to death and disease and corruption. But God didn't want to leave it that way. He didn't want to destroy it, even though that's, that's really what it deserved. Instead, he had a plan of redemption, one where he would send his son. The idea is he, God himself, would put on flesh, would come down, would take the punishment that sin deserved in the world, and would redeem it, would bring it back to goodness. And that someday after a period where he worked um, through the gospel, there would be this time of consummation where the world would return to complete, perfect goodness. And so that's the big picture. And then we often talk about it on the personal level. What does the gospel not just mean for the world, but mean for us? We talk about the life that we receive from God, right? Right? We're all born, we all become living beings, and we have life. That's good. But it's a life that's marred by sin. Both the sin that our ancestors committed and the sin that we ourselves commit. And because of sin, we die. Spiritually, and then eventually physically. So we live in a state of death. Every one of us. But again, Jesus came. He died on the cross, sacrificing himself, receiving the punishment that we deserved so that he could offer us his holiness and goodness and righteousness, that we personally can cling to Christ and be saved. And this is the hope that those of us who are in Christ will one day be raised from the dead, just like Christ was raised from the dead. And so Timothy was told to remember Jesus raised from the dead and the hope that in him, Timothy too would be raised. In Jesus, Timothy had everything that he needed. He had purpose and hope and life. And Paul pleaded with him not to forget that. We see how important this is in the next verse. 
Just two verses today. Verse 9 says this. Speaking of the gospel that he preached, Paul said, This gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. And so in verse 9, we have an acknowledgement of reality. That the very truth that brought Paul such joy that he had given his life to transmit to Timothy and to others did not make life easier for Paul. And so even though the gospel is glorious, it does not guarantee ease in this world. But Paul saw it as worth suffering for. He says that he's bound by chains. Literally, he's in prison. The good news that he brought to the world was rejected by many, seen as bad, disruptive, harmful, and he was imprisoned. Paul gave up a lot to follow Christ. I'm going to read a verse out of Philippians chapter 3. A few verses, actually. It'll be up on the board. This is Paul speaking in another letter. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy, and he refers back to himself. And Timothy would have known that Paul had given up his career, his family, public recognition, All the things that to most of us represent purpose and legacy, the things that if we could get to the end of our life and say we did a good job on, um, I didn't waste my time. Paul looked at all of those things and said, yeah, but they're not as important as Jesus. I could have all of these things that make me feel triumphant. And someday I still die. He had a new purpose. He wanted to personally know this mysterious God who loved his, his creation so much that he was willing to die to redeem it. To become like him, to live forever through his power, changed everything in Paul's life. Knowing Jesus was worth being locked up. It was worth being marched to death. And so he tells Timothy, remember. Then he says this, but God's word, the word of God is not bound. The purpose that God had for Paul couldn't be defeated by imprisonment. God was working through Paul, even though he was in jail, through his example and through his teaching. A good chunk of the New Testament 
is written by Paul when he's locked up. Even imprisoned, the word of God was going forward. It was at work. The idea is that when we're caught up in the story of God's redemption of the world, there's no such thing as a setback. Not really. God's word is at work. So that brings us to the end, to a little bit of application. What is your purpose in life? What's the big foundational truth that drives who you are? And where does it end? Most passions, as we said before, end up in the grave. To you on this Easter Sunday, I have the same word for you that Timothy had for, that Paul had for Timothy. Um, remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the most important person you can know, a foundation on which to build a life, hope that doesn't end in the grave. If you don't know Christ, if you, as you examine your heart, think, I don't know if I know this Jesus fella, um, call out to him. He can give you a purpose and direction that is so much better than anything else you can have. And for those of us who know him, who would say, Jesus is my purpose, that pursuit of him is the most important thing, to me. Um, have, you, have you gotten distracted? Has your eye come off the ball? Have you forgotten him? Did you come up on Easter Sunday thinking, I know what the, I know what the holiday is about, but I just don't feel it. Like Jesus raised from the dead is just words to me right now. I'd rather, um, I'd rather do a thousand other things than focus on him. Um, the word to you is the same. Remember Jesus, risen from the dead. If you feel numb when you think about the possibility of living forever, of death not being your end, then, brother, sister, you are distracted beyond distraction. Your heart has to have been captured by something else. And to you, I would say what I have to tell myself all the time, take a break, get away, get some silence, stop, remember, TV will be there. Um, there'll always be another day to fish. There'll always be another 
meeting to go to, a little bit more work to be done. Take some time to remember Jesus. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to cast you aside. He's not going to look at you and say, where have you been? Right? You know, like the the coffee meeting that you walk in late to and you get the passive-aggressive looks from the other person across the table, right? You're supposed to be here 15 minutes ago. Jesus doesn't do that. Come back to him. Remember him. He's waiting for you. Heavenly Father, I just... I want to, at this time, confess on behalf of our church the fact that we often forget about you. We become distracted by a thousand shiny buttons on the internet, by our hobbies, by the good things in our life that just shouldn't be ultimate things. We've taken our eyes off you. We've forgotten the foundational truths of our faith. We've forgotten you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember you, risen from the dead, promised from long ago, the very gospel that we believe. Lord, help us to remember you and give us hearts of worship to praise you and to hope in you and to pursue you with everything that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.